When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello from Arizona. It's another Buckeye Talk from the crew here at cleveland.com. We are sitting out in the lobby here at the uh, resort we're in in Scottsdale, Arizona, where they bring the players here to do interviews. So we're sitting where we've been working on Wednesday. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, Ori Wasserman. We're going to tell you what happened today, break down stuff. Um, on Thursday will be the primary media day here in Arizona where we'll get to talk to every player on the team. So that's going to be a free-for-all. Um, we're going to get some really good stuff there, so make sure you come back for the Thursday podcast where we're going to have all kinds of interesting stuff because explain to the people, Ari, who we're going to be talking to on Thursday, and it's not going to be JT Barrett and Rayquan McMillan. We're talking to Dwayne Haskins. We're talking to Ben Victor. Malik Harrison. Eric Glover Williams. Basically, everyone who will have nothing to do. It's that weird window. The game you care about. It's that weird window that we get twice a year to talk to the players who we once talked to all the time while they were recruits, and then they go black, um, you know, for a year or a two, year, and yeah. then they become the people we talk to all the time. There's no. It's either talk to them never or talk to them all the time, and we get to talk to the guys tomorrow that we get to talk to never. So we think you like that because you read those stories. We think they're fun to do. Um, so we're looking forward to all the different guys we get to talk to tomorrow. Um, on Wednesday, we talked to the usual suspects. It was Clemson offense, Ohio State defense. Here's the matchup that came into focus for me. Um, Bill Landis, you've been doing matchups each day, talking about different head-to-head things that are going to happen in this game. I am very excited all of a sudden, and it's an obvious one, about Deshaun Watson, the Clemson quarterback, versus Malik Hooker. Yeah. Deshaun Watson is not afraid to take risks. He's not afraid to go down the field. He has a bunch of guys to throw to. Greg Schiano, the Ohio uh, State secondary coach, was talking about how um, Malik Hooker is in zone and able to roam a lot of the time. They don't want to do that every snap because it tells you exactly what they're doing. Um, that is going to be great because Tony Elliott, the Clemson co-offensive coordinator, was talking about how Malik Hooker covers more ground than any safety he's ever seen. That's not new. Um, we know that. The people who have watched Ohio State all year know that. But I think there are going to be a couple times when Deshaun Watson is going to be thinking, okay, I think I have a guy who has a step. I'm going to try to make this throw, and the race is going to be on between Malik Hooker and the ball. Yeah. And what's going to happen. And I think whether Malik Hooker is – a half second in front of the ball and makes a huge play or is a half second behind the ball and Clemson hits a deep throw could be the difference in the game. I think both could happen. Exactly, yes. I don't yeah. think it's going to happen once. I think, yeah, yeah. 
Watson might get Hooker, and then Hooker might get Watson. Yeah, back. whoever whoever wins, yeah, whoever wins most is because Deshaun Watson's not going to be afraid to throw that ball. He's going to and the thing that or the guy I guess like the intended target who I'm like most intrigued by in that scenario is a tight end Jordan Leggett who is oftentimes in the slot and like runs up the seam and they've killed teams that way. And watching some of Clemson's games, like there's Jordan Leggett is six foot forever and runs like a deer and there are times where he's just wide open in the middle of the field and I'm thinking like how did that happen and I guess it's because there's no safety over the top but like Willie Cooker is going to be there more often than not I think uh, when they play on Saturday so uh, a, a competition for a 50-50 ball between Jordan Leggett and Malik Hooker is going to be like must-watch stuff, and I think it might happen a lot. And they were saying it's funny to hear Clemson talk about their offense because their offensive coordinator, the coach, it's not a player, was saying we throw 50-50 balls all the time. I cannot fathom anybody at Ohio State saying, oh, yeah, 50-50 balls, that's part of the plan, baby. 70-30 or better, Ohio State's not throwing the ball. And and we talked about that when we talked about JT and that maybe JT doesn't take enough risks. Deshaun Watson likes it, has permission to do it, and is good at it. They have 50-50 balls in the game plan. And hearing the coaching staff say that we throw 50-50 balls all the time, 100% 100% changes your perspective on the 15 interception stat that everybody's throwing around here, acting like Watson's, Watson's 15 all- interceptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, it just changes the entire perspective of how those happen. Maybe the part of their game plan was that we're going to score this amount of points and you're going to throw this amount of picks, and that's what they've done. I don't think that that's indicative of him not being a good player as much as maybe it is them trying to make plays. And that's what we said Ohio State should be doing. He threw... 13 picks in 15 games last year. He has thrown 15 picks in 13 games this year. So it's not like he's doubled his amount of interceptions. But again, Tony Elliott today, the co-offensive coordinator, said three of four of those were balls that hit the receiver in the hand and were tipped. Um, He said one that stood out, I think, was a throw against Louisville that he thought should have been a touchdown. Watson threw it on the wrong shoulder, and I think it was picked instead of a score. Um, but everybody misses throws sometimes. But again, this was this was not a coach who was concerned about that, which is what you're saying. He's not throwing it into the traffic and making stupid decisions. And I think there's a difference between those two things. I think we need because we did a we did a podcast. We, we're doing these every day, and we did one on Tuesday talking a lot about Ohio State's offense and Clemson's defense. And I think people thought that we were giving Clemson's defense maybe a little too much praise, and um, basically came off as think as sounding like we didn't think Ohio State had a chance. So I think if we're going to talk about an offense that likes to throw 50-50 balls, I think we should talk a little bit about, too, how that like plays into what Ohio State wants a little bit defensively with corners like Marshawn Lattimore and Garyon Conley and Malik Hooker. We talked about guys who are very good at making plays on a ball that we've seen this year. I think a, an offense that's willing to take shots like that plays just as much into their strengths as it does the Clemson's. Because it's one of those things, if you throw a 50-50 ball and you don't complete it, but the other team knocks it down, and you live to fight on the next down, that's one thing. If you throw a 50-50 ball and Garyon Conley or Marshawn Lattimore or Malik Hooker jumps up and makes a one-handed interception, that's a completely different thing. And so they, I don't think we, – we don't want to give the impression that, like, interceptions are no big deal. I think we're putting his 15 interceptions in context. This game could be won by Ohio State because they make two or three big picks. And they turn their picks into touchdowns, which is, like, at a rate better, I think, probably than anyone except for Alabama. That's a number off the top of my head. I'm and not all interceptions are created equally. Yeah. It's about where you throw them, what point in the game you throw them, field position, how much yardage is returned. 
whether the risk – it might be a 50-50 ball, but it also might be on a route that if it is picked, it's not returnable, returnable or in yeah. a bad situation for the other team. I mean, if it's third and six and you throw a 17-yard route from the 45 to the 30 and it's picked up at the 28, then that's not a big deal. Um, so, I, But, yes, Ohio State is the best, most athletic secondary that Clemson will have faced all year. And if part of the game plan – and that goes back to the whole talent discussion. We're going to have a story about this. Um, we talk about how Ohio State has won, in, in one of our previous podcasts, 61 games during the Urban Meyer era, but are only 6-3 and three uh, in games with teams that have equal talent, I think the truth can be said to the same could be said, to, said about Clemson and them playing an equally talented team. And if he's thrown 15 picks in 13 games, and most of the teams that they've played were overmatched athletically, I think that does bode well for Ohio State. One point that was brought up, um, we we asked for some questions, um, and one of them that I got, I think that's one. Of, this is one of those things. That maybe it happens all the time. Too much where the questioner knows more than we do. Um, so we're probably not going to give a real good answer. It's from, are they a podcast? Is this like a podcast that's like making uh, is smarter than us? Maybe it is. Maybe. It's from at the Buckeye cast. They say, uh, does Ohio, do the Ohio State defensive ends have a huge advantage over the Clemson tackles? Um, their tackles have the lowest pass block percentage on their O-line. So we did talk a lot about Christian Wilkins, the Clemson defensive end against Isaiah Prince. Don't the tackles have the lowest pass block percentage on every offensive line, like usually? I don't know those things. That sounds like football talk. Um, I will tell you that Tyrone Crowder and Jay Guillermo, uh, a guard and a center for Clemson, both made first team all ACC. So you would maybe be inclined that the strength of their, uh, of their line is in the middle. They didn't have anybody make second team. So... They had a, a guard and a center make first-team All-ACC. Their tackles didn't make first-team or second-team. I would anticipate, and again, it's funny to hear. It's great. It's not funny. We don't get to do this much during the regular season. It is great to hear the opponent talk about the team you cover. It's yeah. so interesting to hear them have a take on the things you know so well. But Tony Elliott, and I, I talked to this guy the whole time he was available today. He's the co-offensive coordinator of Clemson. He was great. He's a, He played for Dabo Sweeney and now has moved up the ranks as the co-offensive coordinator. Um, he was talking about the Rushman package. He didn't call it the Rushman package, but I do you think that's a thing that would scare a team like Clemson, what Ohio State does on third down when they bring in, as you as an Ohio State fan know, Nick Bosa and Jalen Holmes in the middle of the line joining Sam Hubbard and Tyquan Lewis? We talked about how good the Clemson defensive line looks. I think that's a look that absolutely must have Clemson worried. Yeah, it would worry everyone. Um, the thing about Clemson, like Clemson doesn't give up a lot of sacks. Clemson's given up, I have that number right here, 14 sacks all season, which is second fewest among the teams Ohio State's played. Nebraska gave up uh, 11 all year. Um, and that's because Deshaun Watson can run. Um, and I think he gets the ball. And he gets, gets the ball out quickly. But it's not just about sacks. It's about creating quarterback pressure. Um, and that would scare – especially, like, in, did you say it yesterday? Maybe it wasn't on the podcast, but you said it, and maybe it was in passing about something else, like pressure up the middle. Like, that's – right. That's pressure up the middle makes the world go round. Jalen Holmes and Nick Bosa up the up, up, <laughs> up coming up the middle of, coming up the middle of the offensive line, getting into Sean Watson's face. Um, that's that's a scary thing for me. And and they talk about like um, what was it matching the hand of the quarterback and stuff like that, and, and tipping passes. I think all that goes into the the third down look that Ohio State does. So I'm concerned about that if I'm Clemson. I'm concerned about that if I'm anybody facing Ohio State. 
The thing that I think is going to happen is I think both teams are going to get pressure. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the quarterbacks handle that. I think JT Barrett has a tendency at times to hold the ball. I think Deshaun Watson uh, gets rid of the ball. They both can run. Will they run to run when they scramble? Will they run to throw? It seems like Ohio State thinks that Deshaun Watson is very good at stepping up in the pocket, finding room within and around a collapsing pocket and still making throws. So I don't think either quarterback is going to be able to sit back there and try to pick people apart. It's what are they going to do when they do get the pressure that I think is going to be inevitable from both defenses. Yeah, and it makes me wonder, too, if if Ohio State hasn't been able to throw the ball vertically all year and have sort of gotten away with it, if Clemson, which likes to take shots, doesn't have the time to do that, like how much that alters their – offensive game plan and you guys covered the orange bowl a few years ago and it was just like throw a hitch to sammy watkins and watch them run ohio state learned from that i'm assuming and they have better secondary players so i don't think that's an option this time and their scheme defensively is different and the scheme's different so if Deshaun watson doesn't have five seconds to, to throw the ball downfield to mike williams or jordan leggett I'm, i i think that obviously works in ohio, ohio state's advantage and i wonder how often that's happened to clemson this and year i think that clemson like ohio state has some offensive line concern and um, if that's the case then <coughs> You know, that bodes well for Ohio State trying to get into the backfield. So that was the one thing that was interesting is, like, both offenses have a lot of explosive playmakers, but the lines might be their question marks. It, it felt like when my guy Tony Elliott was talking about it. You love that guy. He, he said how it was a big deal the past two years, as obviously Clemson has exploded onto the scene, is the offensive line got better. He said that was a big part of that. It sounds to me – that it's not that the offensive line went from good to great. It's that the offensive line might have gone from bad to competent. And so, you know, again, we're talking about Clemson. And again, Ari's going to do a really interesting story about equal talent. It feels like Clemson does have NFL guys all over the field. But I don't know if they have NFL guys on this offensive line. Certainly not to the extent they have in the defensive line and at receiver and at quarterback and at running back and in the secondary and at linebacker. I mean, that's every other position. They're eight units strong, and you wonder about the offensive line. I don't know. I, I'm not an expert yeah. on their offensive line, but I think you're right, Ari, that I think it's, it feels like both of them have concerns there. Do you guys want to hear me say another interesting thing that Tony Elliott said? Yes. If before, can you give them credit that the Rushman thing that he said came off my question? Will you tell him? Uh, Ari was bringing in the heat. <laughs> no, that's his guy. That was Doug's guy. What did he say? I kind of Did I glare at you? Like, get away from get my away guy? Get away from my guy, yeah. <laughs> okay, here's an interesting thing. Someone asked Tony Elliott, if they, if Clemson this year had faced a team that play that plays plays this press man coverage, this press quarters defense that Ohio State plays, where they get up with the corners and cover you one on one and are in your face right away and kind of put them on an island, um, and he said, "Yes, we have," and it was against Pitt. Uh, Pitt's the only team to beat Clemson this year, but that game I think was forty three forty two. Pitt mm-hmm. didn't beat Clemson because Pitt stopped Clemson, um, but it's like, of course they did because. That's Pat Narduzzi, the former Michigan State defensive coordinator. Or Ohio State took, yeah. That Ohio State gleaned a lot of things from the way Michigan State covered Ohio State. And they said, I think Urban Meyer said, I want to play defense the way Michigan State just stopped us in the Big Ten Championship game in 2013. And then he went and found a guy who knew that kind of defense. And that was Chris Ash. And now that's what they do. What's interesting? Here's what Tony Elliott said is a difference, which makes me want to really get into this in a story, and I don't think we're going to have time. I thought this was interesting. He said the one thing Michigan State does is they will bring a seventh guy into the box to stop the run, 
which leaves those four guys in the secondary out there to cover. He said Ohio State often will only have the six guys in the box, so I guess that's Worley. When Worley's on the field, he can cover, or if they go to a nickel package, mm-hmm. right? And it made it sound like because Ohio State doesn't need an extra guy in the box to stop the run, they can stop it with six. Their defense is good enough. I think we've talked a lot about the secondary this year. It made me open my eyes a little bit that if that's a difference, that to me is telling people Jerome Baker and Raquan McMillan and that defensive line can handle their business against the run game, which maybe allows Ohio State to go nickel a little bit more or to be able to cover guys a little bit more that maybe there are times when you can put Worley on a slot guy and still have Hooker behind it a little bit and not have the safety have to come up and do it because you don't need an extra linebacker in there to, to help against the run because they can handle it. Well, the, And that the, seemed like a thing that would be yeah. quite an edge against a team like and the this thing that if I, Michigan State needed seven to stop the run. The thing that I initially thought of when you said Pitt did it, because of course they did with Narduzzi, the one thing that – and when it keeps – it always comes back to this, but the one thing that – Ohio State has in this situation is is a more competent team and talent to allow these guys to be on an island. You can play that defense at Pitt all you want, but if you don't have a top 10 corner on both sides or a top four round corner, not everybody's a top 10 pick on this team. I don't know why I always say that. But they have the talented guys that are capable of being put in those situations. And if you have one, not only are they more talented, now with what you're saying about the one less guy in the box, that's like a double whammy when it comes to the ability to play that defense effectively. Who are the which teams had the best passing success like off the top of your head this year? Best, best passing State? success against Ohio. I'm, I'm trying to Northwestern th- was I'm trying to think if there's a correlation between like yeah, you don't have to play guys in a box but like how many very strong rushing teams at Ohio State play that would require you putting another guy in the box? And if that happened like what did those teams do throwing the ball? I mean, Oklahoma had two backs, right? Yeah. And then crazy run around Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've definitely seen teams that have tried. It's one of those things. I think we've seen teams. We always say don't run wide in Ohio State, right? Hit them right. up the middle. Hit the defensive tackles up the middle. Uh, and some teams have success with that. But maybe right. sometimes they have. Maybe, you can't stop everything, right? Maybe that's where Ohio State sometimes decides to give stuff up. We're not going to let you make big plays on the perimeter in the run game. We have a great secondary. We're going to have five guys in coverage. And then we're going to handle our business with six in the box. And you know what? If you pop a 10-yard gain up the middle every now and then, we'll live with it. Which happened – and that, that's happened, and this is something we talked about before. It's like they, they – they're not that they're okay with it, but sort of the way they've operated is like, okay, move the ball between the 20s. You're not scoring touchdowns. And that's worked really well for them. But I don't know – I don't know if that's how you want to operate against Clemson. Maybe you don't have a choice because Clemson's super talented, but – Stopping Clemson in the in the red zone, I think, is a lot different than stopping all the other teams they've played this year well, in the red zone with all those with the size and the and the offensive weapons they have. Yeah. The one game that you would think, what's the one game if you guys go off the top of your head that you would think they would need extra help in the box for that they played this they year? Play this year because there's one that came into my mind, and it's nothing like Clemson, Michigan, or Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. And I'm looking at the box score now for the Wisconsin game, and Hornybook threw the ball 28 times. Yeah. And he threw for 215 yards and had a touchdown. And I don't know if that has anything to do with what we're talking about at all, 
They hit the tight end a couple but times. They hit the game, tight end right? a couple times. Seven catches for 84 yards. And he Triple was the, he was the uh, leading receiver. And that Jazz PV guy had 75. So, but it just strikes me as interesting because I don't know off the top of my head if they did have a seventh guy in the box. Yeah, I mean, it's not something. But they also ran for 165 or 235 yards in that game. And again, it's a completely different, it's a completely different offense. But it strikes me as interesting that that was a pretty productive offensive day, and it might be on a day when Ohio State needed that help. I think Deshaun Watson threw it 70 times in the pit loss. He did. 72. Yeah. Which is, I, I can't even like wrap my head around that. I mean, there's a lot of games you play where you don't even, have, you don't even run 70 plays. Um, would that be good or bad for Ohio State if Deshaun Watson throws it 70 times? I think that would be good. I think that would be good. They lost that game. That's, that's them trying. They scored, a, they scored in the 40s, but they but lost. But that's, that's, that's Clemson attacking your strength. If they, if you're, and that means you – because Clemson doesn't have – as we like wonder what would happen if Ohio State had to put another guy in the box. It's not like Clemson has run all over people this year. Like Their running game has been very inconsistent and certainly can be against Ohio State. So if it's a game where – Clemson can't run the ball because Ohio State is stout enough defensively with the defensive line and two linebackers, and Deshaun Watson has to throw it 70 times. That's like 70 opportunities for Malik Hooker to score a touchdown. So I don't think you ever win a game attacking the other team's strength. That, right. And that would be, as much as Urban Meyer talks about balance, everybody wants balance. That's not balance. No, um, no. Yeah. Unless they also unless they ran 140 plays that game and they ran it 70 times. Well, I don't like We were covering the Maryland game that day, I believe, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And so we didn't watch it, but like... I don't know. I was not watching the Maryland I, watching I might Maryland have been watching Pick either. Clemson. That was literally the worst game I ever covered. 62-3. to three. Worst game I ever covered. Worse than the 58 nothing or whatever it was, win over Rutgers. God, that was awful. Thanks I'm going to look at the box score okay, for that go game ahead. And the box lunch was kind of soggy. <laughs> Sports writers complaining about lunch. <laughs> um, okay, so Clemson, 52-70 passing. For 580 yards, and they ran the ball 25 times for 50 yards, averaged two yards per rush, so they couldn't run the ball a bit. That's a lot of plays. It's a lot of plays, and it's a ter- two yards per carry is Ohio State versus Michigan State 2015 bad. That's like that's. I don't think JT Barrett's thrown the ball 70 times this season. So yeah. Okay, so would that be a strategy? Stop the run. Thing Greg Schiano was talking about uh, was. Sean Watson has run it not as much. We've talked about that. He doesn't run it as much this year as he did last year. Uh, a lot of them, from the way people were talking today, was they ran the same plays. My boy Tony Elliott was saying they ran the same plays. He just didn't. He didn't keep it as much. He would, you know, they run a zone read and he'd give it up. But Shiano says when you get inside the twenty, when you're in the in scoring time, then Watson's going to keep it because. When you get near the end zone, you want your best player with the ball in his hand. So I think it's going to be – you were talking, Bill, about the Ohio State defense letting teams get yards but then stopping them in the red zone. Yeah. I think it feels like we could see one Clemson offense to the 20, and then once they get in the red zone, now all of a sudden Deshaun Watson, the runner, is going to come into play more, and that's going to be a very different thing. Because and, I, Wayne you know, Gallman doesn't – Particularly scare me. No, nor he doesn't. He doesn't but the, Watson's different than because Ohio State's played some running quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield can run. Trace McSorley can run, but they're not like Deshaun Watson when he runs the ball is like similar to JT Barrett. He's like a power running back. He's not shifty, up the but right. he'll gain yards. And that's right? the, that's the difference in the red zone, I think, because 
those, those other guys, when they're running, they're either running outside or they're scrambling, and it's not just like a designed quarterback power, which is what Clemson will do, and that, that makes it different for Ohio State, and that's something they haven't had to stop, I don't think, all year. I don't, off the top of my head, I don't even know who would have been a quarterback like that that they face. I don't think they have. I mean, there is a thing. Clemson talked about this a lot, maybe more than Ohio State. Well, no, Shiano talked it about too. Both defenses are going to have some kind of edge because the offense that they're facing is an offense they see in their own practice. A lot of people have said during this month that the Clemson and Ohio State offenses have a lot in common. And so if Ohio State hasn't seen a lot of a quarterback like Deshaun Watson keeping the ball in the zone read in games, nobody in college football keeps the ball in the zone read like JT Barrett does. So they know what's up. Clemson is – Number 19 in the country in red zone touchdown percentage, just over 70%. That's the best of Ohio State's opponents this year. What's Ohio State's touchdown percentage in the red zone? Ohio State's is... They're 45th in the country. The percentage is 64%. Okay. So similar percent. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that it feels like, they, you know, maybe each offense gains 500 yards and it's a matter of somebody kicked two field goals in the red zone and somebody else cashed it in more. Mm-hmm. And that's who wins. Well, that's what I like. And to go back to the team that beat Pitt, Pitt's number one in the country in red zone uh, touchdowns this season. So did you get any uh, different sense today, Ari? Um, if, if we talked a lot yesterday when we talked to Ohio State offense and Clemson defense that, you know, what's the Ohio State offense going to do against this or against that? Based on what we who we talked to today – Clemson with Deshaun Watson and their receivers and the Ohio State defenders. Who do you think has the edge? If you gave an edge in that matchup, Clemson offense or Ohio State defense, who has the edge? It was quiet on purpose. Yeah. That's th- uh, thinking. That's really hard. I don't want to go first. Let me, let me ask this. Here's what I think is possible. I think I'll be very curious. An Ohio State person earlier in this – was one of the players when we were in Columbus still talked about how it was Jerome Baker, I think, how Deshaun Watson, maybe it was Worley, never gets rattled. Even if he throws a pick, he comes back out and he doesn't worry about it. I think it's possible that Clemson could get frustrated because this is a high-flying offense with talent all over the place. And if they open the game and three of their first four drives are like three and outs, I'll be curious to see how they react to that because I bet you there aren't a lot of Defenses that do that to them, but I think this Ohio State defense is capable of doing that to you. That okay, first down, um, Deshaun Watson, you know, threw a nice ball, but Marshawn Lattimore knocked it away. Second down, they get stopped for a gain of three, and on third down, they got some pressure on Watson, and he ran for four yards. Now they're punting. It's like how will Clemson respond to that? Yeah, I wonder, and I didn't, I didn't really watch this game, but I wonder like if that's and it was the first game of the season. So it's so long ago; it almost doesn't even matter. But if you want to talk about a team that like. The team that Clemson played with like the most comparable talent to Ohio State was probably Florida State or Auburn, who Clemson played at the beginning of the year and only scored 19 points. And that was a close game in a game where Auburn didn't know who its quarterback was because Auburn's defense was that good and, and really um, bogged down Clemson. Um, I wonder if frustration came into play there. And then also against NC State, North Carolina State, who should have beat Clemson. And some of the guys we spoke to were talking about NC State plays a similar defense to Ohio State. Obviously, the talent's not the same. But the style gave them a little bit of problem in that game, too. And that was a game that they almost lost to a mediocre North Carolina State team. We talked about that at the time. North Carolina State missed a 30-yard field goal. We were, we were in the, the car, car driving on the Wisconsin. way to Uno's. 
And Wait, we were talking about how... Geno's East. Geno's East. Uh, Geno's East in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. It's the best day of my life. That was a great memory from this season. Wow. That's a pizza sidetrack. Let's just think about that pizza for a second. In the Lakeview. In the Lakeview. It was cold, but it was lovely. Um, <laughs> we talked about it at the time. If NC State makes that field goal, because the guy missed like a 30-yarder at the end of mm-hmm. regulation, and then Clemson won in overtime. If he makes that field goal, Clemson's not here. Yeah. And we can play that game all over the place. Ohio State is the team that had a overtime win, a double overtime win, a one-point win, and a four-point win in its last seven games. And the spot. And the spot. So we know how close Ohio State was to not being here. But a, a 30, 30-something yard field goal to win it at the end is even sort of a tighter situation than anything Ohio State was in. I guess that Tyler Durbin had to make a 20-yard field goal in the last yeah. play of the game to force overtime against Michigan after he had missed And if that was a 30-yard field goal, he yeah. might have hooked it. If it was if it was not in the middle of the field, he might have hooked it because he was just he was struggling out there. Yeah, he was pushing it to the left. So what were you saying? I don't know that a Clemson almost wasn't here. Um, do you guys have any other questions? Do we get any other questions from people? I had a question about whether or not Ohio State's defensive line could create pressure, which I think we touched. That was from Keaton Parks, who asked if uh, OSU D line can consistently pressure Deshaun Watson, which I think we we hit, and I think we think maybe they they can get some pressure against this, yeah. this offensive line if that's the weak point of the offense. I do we have some, do you want to add something to that? No, go ahead. No, I was just on the radio in Cleveland with Dustin Fox, and I think he might have been a little bit salty because he's a former player who didn't get invited to participate in practice. Scout team, scout team. But he said, "Do you think that actually helps?" And I thought that that was an, like, an interesting thing to think about because didn't Bobby Carpenter go out there and we didn't write a story about it because we can't write a story every single time. Yeah. But Brian Hartline did, and there was one other person I can't remember who it was. Zach Warren. Zach Warren. Do you think that that – he asked me that, and I was like, I don't know. And I was wondering what you guys would think. Do you think that that actually helps or was more of a let's have fun and this is playful type of a thing? I think it can help depending on who the guy is. Like, do, you think like, Brian, do you think Brian Hartline was like an awesome no. Mike Williams? No. I mean, the guy was the number one NFL receiver at one point in his life. No. I think he was a better – I mean, he gave Garyon Conley and Marshawn Lattimore, I'm sure, a better look that day than – the 19-year-old backup receivers yeah. on scout team. Yeah, definitely. But he's not Mike Williams. But no. he doesn't have to be Mike Williams because the scout team guys are never actually what they're supposed to be. The most interesting uh, former player coming back that I heard this week was Taj Boyd coming back for Clemson for a day to be JT Barrett. Yeah. yeah. Because if you remember, I, I think Taj Boyd – JT Barrett is in like a certain realm of quarterback, and I think Deshaun Watson is in that JT Barrett realm as well. I, I had said that I think like Deshaun Watson's like a rich man's Troy Smith on some level, mm-hmm. um, and he's in that realm. But Taj Boyd is in that realm too. And like some of the Clemson guys are saying like, I can't believe Taj Boyd didn't make it in the NFL. But that's a real good look for them, that I bet you they got a good idea – of what JT Barrett can do, because Taj Boyd like, could throw it, was like a physical runner. Well, that's what Brett Venable said. He said that the two things he said were that were the benefits of having Taj Boyd were that the ball got there quicker when they were throwing, and that Taj Boyd was like running, doing inside run drills. Like he was, I don't know if he was actually getting hit, but he was running inside quarterback power the way that JT Barrett does, and giving them a good look at that because, like you said, he's that physical style of runner that JT is. I think it is. We get used to it because it's what Ohio State does, and we see it every day. 
Um, and I'm still continue to be amazed by when they snap at the JT Barrett on third and six, and he just runs straight ahead and gets eight yards in the first down. And you think, stop the quarterback draw. <laughs> Didn't you already asked Brett Venables about that yesterday? Yeah. What did he say? Why does it work? I said, why does it work? Seems like they get six or eight y- or six yards. This is exactly what it was. I said, why does that work? And he goes, I don't know. And I said, it seems like they get like six yards every time they do it. And he goes, don't remind me. And then I said, actually, I think it's eight. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, it is unbelievable. But, but actually, as sort of rudimentary as that is, I think it's a little bit unusual. Because mm-hmm. I had some Clemson defensive guys talking about the idea of like the downhill quarterback run. That you just get a guy and think JT Barrett has like a big lower body. Big thighs that, like, you can't really wrap him up very well. He leans forward. He runs like a running back. He runs like a running back. And all of a sudden, there's no read. There's no hesitation. It's just a snap. And there's a guy, a tough physical guy running right at you. Well, do you want to know what Brent Venables said? Because he's smarter than us. He said that, and this was part of, like, piggybacking. That was, like, around the time he mentioned Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how Ohio State always has an option element to everything that they do. And he said that a lot of times when you're looking at it like with your eyes, it just seems like snap the ball to JT and let him run forward, right? It just seems like a, just a normal quarterback snap dive like he would out of a Wildcat. But he said most of the runs that Ohio State does with JT in situations where they need that first down or that are six yards away, there's another element to the running game or the play that makes them have to hesitate for even a second. And when they hesitate, it opens up just enough of a crease to let him get his momentum going and to get the six or eight yards. Whether he's pitching the ball to somebody else, somebody's going in motion, there's a threat of the pop pass, reverses. He said that there's always a read or another option on these plays that might not even be visible to the naked eye that allows him to get going just enough to get that first down. JT said something during the course of this season about, I think about just when asked about the idea of why does the quarterback draw work, and he said something that a lot of those plays, there's a throw option mm-hmm. off of it. And it might be that he makes a read before the play so he can get the snap and go very quickly. But depending how the defense lines up, he can take that snap and make a quick throw to somebody too. Um, you just can't sell out. And you can't – it's not just like, hey, all 11 guys go tackle the quarterback who just got the snap and ran. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot more complex than quarterback dive in Madden. Which doesn't look like – because like, they look talk like about like run pass options all the time and it never looks like there's a pass When they're option. doing it, it doesn't look like <laughs> it. it. When they're like, doing yeah. it, it looks like you're running quarterback dive. And a lot of the times I think he, he does the option that involves him running it. Well, it also might mean that he's, he's just very it. good at because it. Because he's good at it. I think that's the best thing he does. I mean like uh, we've, we've spent a lot of time in, in – Deservedly so, talking about sort of his limitations as a quarterback. There are certain things, I think, that JT Barrett does, um, and it's not just leadership and pregame speeches. There are things he does on the field. I think the decision-making process, and that's decision-making, don't get picked. That's decision-making, here comes pressure, I'm going to get up field and get four yards instead of taking a sack. But there are decisions that he makes in the, the zone read um, and instantaneous reads off what the defense gives them that I think oftentimes I think it's a very good point you made, Ari, that it looks to us like, boy, that was easy, and it's that J.T. Barrett identified pre-snap and right after the snap exactly the way the defense was lined up and what they were doing, and he went right at their vulnerability and went right at their and weakness think- and their opening, and that's why it looked easy because he diagnosed it in a way that not every quarterback would diagnose. And I think this might be a good short post. I think that like Brent Venables' response, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think 
if you're listening to this, then maybe we'll put that up just so you can read it for yourself. Because I thought it was you were standing there. Yeah, I it, was it, it was good. It was a good answer. Yeah. I think it's it, it's worth writing something small on, or if you want to write a Doug column, you can have the quote. One other thing that was podcast fodder. Since we don't have questions, we'll just uh, is this like tidbit? This is what we're doing. It's bold, bold tidbit week, right? Yeah. Chris Worley said today that Dwayne Haskins can throw balls better than some NFL quarterbacks, and I don't know how much that means because he's never been in a practice with an NFL quarterback. But what he said was at times he has – Haskins has the scout team playing better than some of the teams they played. So the question I have for you guys, because this is like podcasty, right? Like we're yeah. trying to be like, you know, podcasty. Sports talk radio. How many teams on Ohio State's schedule this year do you think a Dwayne Haskins-led scout team could beat? Uh, Bowling Green. And that might be it. Rutgers? Maryland? Ruck, oh, yeah, Rutgers. Yeah, sorry, Rutgers. Maryland beat Michigan State. Shout out, Chris Ash. Maryland went to a bowl game. I would say Bowling Green and Rutgers. Could Dwayne Haskins and the scout team go to a bowl? Is <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that two out there for you guys? I don't know. I just, no, it's a funny thing it, to think about. I feel like we talked it. about this before. He yeah. said it. He said it. That's all. I thought that was interesting. I mean, because it's one of those things that's like, it's not, their scout team is not bad players. It's no, just it's young just, players. It's just freshmen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, and we talk about all the time, like what would this team starting lineup look like if they recruited the area the same? I mean, it's all top end players. I wrote a story today about Wednesday um, about Marquise Bell, who's a four star athlete from New Jersey, who's considering Maryland and Ohio State. The only reason why he might end up at Maryland is Ohio State doesn't have room. Ohio State does not have room for the best player in Maryland's class. Right. So think about it. So, so, so the scout team might beat Maryland. Yeah. Because the scout team is filled with guys that Maryland would that kill has Maryland's to have. quarterback. Yeah. I mean, by the way, Dwayne Haskins should be at Maryland right now. He'd be starting this year. So, yeah, they could. If DJ Durkin is listening to this and driving off the road, we apologize. Uh, um, I asked DJ Durkin about um, Dwayne Haskins this year on a conference call. He was not having the question. No, yeah. He was unhappy about was not a ha- Was not a happy camper about the question. Um, we have not decided who we're picking still, right? Uh, I think I know where I'm leaning. Yeah, I know who I'm picking. Okay, I still don't know. I still don't know, and I've gone back and forth. I, I'm, uh, I'm leaning. I think maybe the different way than I was leaning when I got here, but I'm not sure. Um, I know. I, I know who you're picking. We are going to give you our picks on Friday in this podcast. We're going to explain it. We'll also do some uh, posts at Cleveland.com/slash/OSU explaining it, but. Thursday, we will have our big media day where we talk to all kinds of interesting players we never get to talk to. We will come back on this podcast on Thursday and give you all the tidbits from the guys that uh, that we spoke to at media day. And then Friday's podcast will be us breaking down the whole week, everything we've gathered, and what that has led us to decide is going to happen in this game. So we have not decided. I think... If, if you've gotten any impression through these first three podcasts that we're praising Clemson and talking down Ohio State, you guys know Ohio State. We're assuming you don't know Clemson that well. We don't know Clemson that well. We know Ohio State. So we're trying to gather as much Clemson as we can get. And we're not going to gather Clemson and then say, Clemson stinks. We're going to tell you all the things that Clemson does well that could be a challenge for Ohio State. But I don't think anybody should have the impression that Ohio State can't meet that challenge. Yeah, that's what I was saying in the beginning. Like, I don't. This wasn't really a window. I think into where we're, what we're thinking. It's sort of like a three-day ongoing discussion that I think is going to influence our final decision on who we think is going to win the game. Ohio State is favored. That's true. Vegas has also gotten like every bowl game wrong so far. Yeah, that's true. I think I read a stat that they are fourteen and one 
underdogs are 14 and 1 against the spread this year. Yeah, seven seven outright wins. Seven yeah. outright wins and those don't matter at all because Miami Ohio's performance against Michigan State Mississippi State, Mississippi State has nothing to do with this bowl. That's it. Uh, Bill, Ari, and Doug, you can find us at cleveland.com slash OSU. You can find us on Twitter at BillAndis25, at Ari Wasserman, at Doug Maurice. Uh, it's possible that I had an audible fart <laughs> that you heard. <laughs> I heard it. Ari heard it, and Bill heard it. I think I, the guy in the hallway heard it. I don't know if the podcast heard I it. it I was talking, and my neck turned because I thought it might have been your chair. But I thought thanks. it was your chair, too. So thanks for owning up to that. That's terrifying. If you heard that like 45 seconds ago, that's what that was. I ate four mini mango cheesecakes at lunch. That's Buckeye Talk.